Lovely. <laughs> In that joyous spirit, let us pray. Gracious God, we ask you to be present with us in this space. We ask you to bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts as we seek to draw closer to you, O God. In your holy name we pray, amen. I am a helper by nature. I get this joyous warmth in my chest whenever I'm able to help someone with exactly what they need at exactly the right time. Those of you who are here in church today or perhaps watching from home, if you were in the Enneagram adult ed class with Pastor Kendra and I during Lent, um, you might remember that I was talking about how I'm a two on the Enneagram, which just basically means that I love helping and I live for it. My worst nightmare? Feeling like a failure or that somehow I have not measured up to the expectations that I have for myself or for other people. And God forbid I display any kind of imperfection at all. Working in ministry has really helped me to overcome that fear. I stumble over myself constantly. I rarely measure up to expectations, but it's fine, it's fine. So when I read the text for today, I feel like I come at it with a little different perspective than I remember having it described to me previously. This miraculous event of Jesus feeding a multitude of 5,000 people is one of the most well-known miracle stories of Jesus. I have a bunch of agnostic and atheist friends, and even they're familiar with this story. But every time I've heard it told or I've heard it preached on, I feel as though the disciples get a bad rap. They're often described as 12 immature clueless guys who are as petulant as, as rowdy children and completely complaint-obsessed. And they're rarely depicted as being on the ball or speaking with the right intention. But I feel to describe them that way in this text today would be wrong. You see, this text comes in the middle of a bunch of miracle stories in John. Jesus is essentially walking around, performing impossible feat after impossible feat. They probably never have any idea of what to expect out of Jesus, because whenever they set expectations for him, he just goes and blows through them as if they weren't even there. What expectations? Jesus' miracles have become so well-known at this point that people from all over sought him out and have been following him around in the hope of receiving a healing, a good word, or some kind of miracle. 5,000 people are just following him around Galilee. That's a lot. That's, that's the capacity limit for Glenbard West High School's football stadium. I googled it. And to have that many people just following you around suddenly that's a lot of pressure. And the text starts off by saying that Jesus took the disciples to a mountain to rest, and then they saw this stampede of people just approaching them. I wonder what the disciples were thinking at this moment. I imagine it was probably panic, absolute panic. But then Jesus turns to Philip and asks him, 
where can we buy bread to feed these 5,000 people? Philip just becomes a deer in headlights. What, Jesus? That, that's impossible. We couldn't afford that even if we saved up all our money for six months. I can just hear his voice hiking up an octave out of stress. And I don't know, I don't really see him being petulant or whiny here. I see him being at a complete loss with a terrible sinking feeling in his gut. Have you ever shown up to school or work or some other function and learned about some, something that you were supposed to do or bring and you definitely did not do or bring that thing? Like showing up to work without even starting a big project that you were heading. I'm seeing some nodding. I'm glad that some of you can relate to this. <laughs> or maybe it, it was showing up to a class being expected to turn in an assignment that you completely forgot about or having never studied for a test. Yeah? Even if you totally have your life together and you've never done such a thing, I'm very happy for you. Um, but people have dreams like this all the time where they've completely forgotten about some big responsibility just when someone turns and asks them, hey, do you have that thing? That's how I imagine Philip feels right in this moment when Jesus asks him, where are we going to buy bread for these people? He came face to face with his own limitations, his own human shortcomings. And the empty bellies of 5,000 people were on the line. My worst nightmare. <laughs> It never feels good to come up short, to be completely and utterly aware of your helplessness, your inability to do anything, or to have completely failed. I remember feeling that feeling a lot when I was working as a chaplain at a level one trauma center near Chicago. I remember feeling that feeling when I saw a boy who was probably about seven years old come in on an ambulance with a bullet wound and having to comfort him and explain to him why this happened. I remember feeling that feeling when a man crashed on his motorcycle and was in critical condition and his wife came in and I had to tell her what happened. I remember that feeling when I went to visit a man who'd gotten in a car accident, who was going to be paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life and had no one to help him, or even come visit him at the hospital. He was completely alone. And I was helpless to do anything about those things. We so often come up against situations that are completely out of our control. Sometimes we try our absolute best in a situation and we still come up short. We are still found wanting, still failing no matter how hard we try or how much time and effort we put into something. I felt like a failure in those moments as a chaplain, like I couldn't do anything to fix the situation. I could only give updates or I could hardly bring any form of comfort. All I could do was be present. Ethan and Tovo, 
uh, and I, the summer interns and myself, are reading the book Pastrix together by Nadia Boltzweber. She's a Lutheran pastor in Denver, and in her book, she shares her experiences as a hospital chaplain. Um, she recounts one of the first times she was called to the ER during a trauma, and she says she noticed everyone in the room, all the nurses, the doctors, the techs, administrators, everybody had a job, a responsibility, and she just felt in the way. She says that she asked a nurse what she was supposed to do there, and the nurse replied, you're supposed to be aware of God's presence in the room while we work. Everyone in that room had a job, and her job was to be a witness, a witness to God's presence and action in the world and in that room. God did not call her to pick up a scalpel and start helping. God called her there to witness. And sometimes that's exactly what we're called to do. We are human. We are imperfect creatures, and we are made to be so by God. Therefore, we are bound to fail and fall short a lot. We're going to feel like screw-ups and feel inadequate sometimes, because we are. When I first started writing this sermon two weeks ago, and let me tell you, planning a sermon two weeks ahead of time, having to pick your title and your scripture and then try and fit whatever it is that you're going to say to what two weeks ago you chose to be your sermon today, it's, it's tough work. But when I picked out the, the title, Seemingly Impossible, what I had imagined this sermon to be about was that if we believe in God, then we can do anything that we put our minds and our hearts to. But when I actually sat down to write that sermon, it felt disingenuous. It felt flat, it felt wrong. Because I believe, I believe, and I can hardly make it to a meeting on time or manage to go one single day without saying something that makes me put my foot in my mouth. I can't do everything. We can't succeed all the time. We can't always stop ourselves from failing or coming up short. We're not always going to measure up to our own standards or the standards that other people set for us. But the more I read this text, and the more that I prayed about it, the more I began to realize that we don't have to measure up all the time. That's not what this text is about. Jesus doesn't shame Philip when he doesn't know how to feed 5,000 people suddenly. He doesn't turn to the disciples. He doesn't make them into amazing fishermen that can go catch enough fish to feed everybody. He doesn't suddenly make them all rich enough to go buy bread for 5,000 people. He doesn't expect his disciples to do the impossible because they're human. They're fallible, and they can't make miracles happen without God, because God is the one who makes those miracles happen. We humans are limited, as evidenced by both Philip and Andrew's responses of, we can't, and this can't possibly be enough, but God can. 
And sometimes God is asking us to stand aside and to watch the miracle happen. To step back and let God do the impossible. What a gift. What an absolute blessing to the disciples to have the opportunity to just sit back and witness God doing the impossible. Christ smashing those mortal limitations into tiny, tiny pieces. It is a joy to be a witness to such awesome power. And yet, this is not an invitation to stop trying, to abandon our calling as agents of justice and peace and grace in the world, but it is a gift. A gift that reminds us that when we do try, when we give everything that we have to be the people that God calls us to be, that we don't have to do it perfectly that we don't always have to get it right. Because whenever we fall short, God is making up for it in abundance. God is turning out miracles every second, every moment. And there is grace in being able to witness that. To have been given the wisdom that we don't have to be perfect because God is. And at the end of this miracle that Jesus performed, after he fed 5,000 people, starting with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, there were enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. And Jesus told the disciples to collect all the leftovers and wanted nothing to be lost or to go to waste. And with every leftover scrap they put into their baskets, the disciples, too, were being filled. Filled with the awe of God's limitlessness, wonder at Christ's ability to do the impossible, feeling privileged to be able to witness such an amazing act. Their faith was filled as their baskets were filled. God is limitless. God made the universe out of nothing. God can make life out of dead earth. And God can and does make up for all the places that we are lacking. God's love for us is boundless. God's love for creation is limitless. And as Reverend Boltz Weber says in her book, God loves us too much to let our failures and our shortcomings be the last word. Sometimes we are not called to do the seemingly impossible. Sometimes we are called to witness as God does the impossible. Amen.